I am definitely not the pastor of this church. Uh, I'm a member of the community, not representing it. I'm just going to, this is just me talking about me. This is not instructional. I'm not telling you what to do, not telling you what to think, just telling you part of my story. And the part of, parts of my story that I'm going to tell you are the parts that I'm not super proud of. And I hope that you'll um, be able to, to listen with indifference, meaning not that you don't care what I have to say, but uh, hopefully you can listen in a way that it's um, benign, that you're just listening to information rather than... Um, Basically, what I'm trying to say is I'm really nervous about hurting anyone's feelings by saying anything. And I, and I want you to put aside your feelings, put aside anything uh, in a reactive part of you. And just, this is just me. So, things I've learned since encountering Jesus. The first one, I am a perfectly imperfect miracle child of God who is loved unconditionally. And that's really cool. And it was not easy for me to understand that. It took a long time and a lot of questions and thinking and praying and listening. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about, about that story, about my story of coming to understand and, and know God as much as I can. So like I said, I'm a perfectly imperfect <clears throat> miracle child of God who's loved unconditionally. Before I could understand that, I had to first believe in God. So I grew up in a, in a house that God was not um, welcome in. Uh, we didn't go to church. Um, before, I've, I've described it as we were intentionally not Christian. Um, my dad, growing up, had some serious, uh, seriously bad experiences in the church that his family went to. Um, I don't know the whole story, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but uh, suffice to say... Uh, some of the stories that you hear about, about things that have happened in churches over the years, he was one of those stories. So I didn't have any, God had never been introduced to me over the years. My brother, in, in, uh, when we were in high school, started dating a girl who, who was a Christian, and she um, convinced him to go to church, which shocked all of us. And then he became a Christian and declared Jesus as his Savior, and I didn't get it. I didn't really try to get it, to be honest. But I really didn't understand what he was talking about or why he was doing any of this. And the way that I like to tell the story of me finally understanding and getting to know God was, or believing that he ex even existed, was um, in, uh, in my last year of university, I was teaching, I was kind of acting as a teaching assistant for some practical courses in my program. And I was teaching, one day I was teaching about compasses and how to use them. I took outdoor recreation at Lakehead. And there's this woman sitting at the desk. I was like, awesome. She was beautiful. She was friendly. She listened really well. Uh, she was super smart. She figured, she figured it out pretty fast, but I was teaching. And I'm not particularly good at teaching that stuff, so that was impressive that she understood it by the end. Um, and then my, my best friend and roommate at the time, uh, he was finishing a semester before me, and he said when he left, he's like, my only advice to you for the rest of your school career is you've got to date Brenda. So I did. All right. It's not like it was all my choice. She had some say in it. Um, yeah, I, I, I just thought, you know, she was pretty special. So I, so I started 
somehow ended up in a lot of classes she was taking in that next semester. And so, somehow the only seat open was right beside her. Amazing. And uh, we got to know each other a little bit, and we started dating a little bit. And then she's like, by the way, I'm a Christian. I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. But since I want to impress you, I'll find out. So I started going to church with her. Uh, the first time I went to church as an adult on my own, because not because someone told me I had to, uh, was uh, Easter of 2005. I went, uh, I said, are you going to church? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, can I come? And she's like, yeah, of course you can. And so I went, and I was totally shocked, because it was not what I expected it to be, and I really enjoyed it, and uh, had a lot of questions at the end. I remember one of the first times that we went to church together, poking her <laughs> during the service, and being like, what does holy mean? I didn't know. So she explained it to me, and that was really good of her. And that really helped. And then along um, the next couple of years, I kind of went on a journey of starting to attend church regularly, listening, asking questions. Um, and I'm not easily convinced of things. So um, thankfully, Jesus knows what to do. And, and um, the really short version is one night I was uh, leading a canoe trip, making a dumb choice, and had a moment where Jesus came and kind of grabbed me and... and said, what are you doing? You're better than this. I made you better than this. Do better. So if you don't believe in God, and when he shows up and shakes you by the scruff of your neck and says, I'm here, you start to believe in God. Thank you. Um, and so that, that's how I came to believe in God, was that he showed up. And then there was this part. I'd spent my life being told and, and observing Christians doing terrible things. Like, historically, there's a lot of bad stuff. Crusades, Spanish Inquisition, all that stuff was just, was terrible. I'm not getting, it's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not a historian. And then I, I saw a lot of current Christians doing things I really didn't agree with politically, personally, interpersonally, a lot of hypocrisy, all that stuff that we've all heard. But thankfully, going to church, listening to what people had to say, listening to people much wiser than I, I realized that I was confusing Christians with Christ. And it wasn't about, and it's not about us, it's about him. And when I finally understood who he is, and what the fact that he is who he says he was, or was who he says, time, is who he says he is, matters, and is a big deal, and is earth-shaking, when I understood that, made it a lot easier to, to believe and to understand this idea that I'm a perfectly imperfect miracle child of God who is loved unconditionally. And then I had to accept that <laughs> not just all those hypocritical Christians that I'd always been mad at needed grace, so did I. So, what I've learned since encountering Jesus. Number one, I'm a perfectly imperfect miracle child of God who's loved unconditionally. Number two, so is everybody else. So, grace. It's kind of a, an important concept in, in Christianity and the Christian faith in, in getting to know 
Jesus. And this is what it took me so long to understand. And I'm sure I don't understand it completely yet, but I'm getting there. I need it, but I don't like to admit that I need it. It's really easy for me to notice all the things that other folks do that requires grace. And do I ever feel good when I get to, oh, it's okay. I forgive you. That feels great. But man, can I ever explain away the stuff that I do that requires grace? I don't like to admit that I need it. I certainly don't deserve it. I've done all sorts of things. I continue to do all sorts of things that preclude me really from deserving forgiveness, grace, human forgiveness, divine forgiveness. I'm very imperfect. I can't earn it. And I, and I remember very distinctly, this, that, that piece right there, the fact that I don't deserve it, and then even if I wanted to deserve it, if it was possible to deserve it, there's no way I could earn it. That was a moment. The moment I learned that, it was in, I, was sitting in a, I was sitting in a church service in a movie theater in Aurelia, Ontario, and the pastor was explaining why Christianity is different from other religions. So I'll just take a moment to recap that. What he said was that he said, most religions are very logical in that if you follow the rules enough and do enough of the right things or don't do enough of the wrong things, you can get in. The problem is, where's the line? What's the, what is enough? What's the standard against which you're measured? Because it's just, it's just too, too difficult to, to know. Is it perfection? Because if it's perfection, none of us are in. But if it's less than perfection, is it worth it? He said, so that's what makes Jesus so special, is he came along, put himself on a cross for all of us, and said, I'm perfect, so you don't have to be. And so no matter how hard you try, you can't earn it. You've already got it. I love you no matter what. I remember, and so when I heard that, and it finally clicked for me that I don't have to earn it. And what a cool, incredible thing. Thank you. I don't say that enough. So he, but then the really amazing thing is because I can't earn it, I haven't earned it. And he just gives it to me. I screw stuff up constantly. I think terrible things about people. I hurt people's feelings. I'm selfish. But he gives it to me. He gives me that grace. He gives me forgiveness. He gives me his love over and over and over. And I keep screwing it up. And he keeps on giving it to me. Pretty lucky. Okay, let's fill in the blank here. It's for God so loved the good. It's one of the most famous bits of scripture. You see it at every baseball game on a sign in the crowd, right? John 3.16. It's not for God so loved the obedient, which we just talked about. You don't have to. You can't be. You're not good enough. We're not good enough. I'm not good enough, for sure. It's not for God so loved his followers. For God so loved the righteous. Nope. Christians. Nope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that 
whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whenever you put someone else's words on the screen, you have to cite it. So that's John 3.16. I want to talk about this verse for a moment because I went through, I've gone through most of my life thinking of this more as a sales pitch bit of scripture than um, the incredible truth that it is. And I never thought of, I've never, for a long time, didn't think about how complex it really is and, and how a quick change in order could have made it mean a whole lot of different things. The fact that it talks about, for God so loved the world first, matters. It's not whoever believes in him gets God's love. It's he loves all of us and gave his only begotten son. And if you choose to believe in him, then you get the everlasting life. So the conditional part's at the end. It's built on, for God so loved the world. Who is the world? Everyone. He loves us all. He loves you, and he loves me, and he loves everyone. The same. Because remember, I can't earn it. I'm not good enough. No matter how many times I screw it up, he still loves me. He loves everyone just like he loves me. Unconditionally and undeservedly. And that's... Well, I guess I'm not that special. I'm just a perfectly imperfect miracle child of God who's loved unconditionally. Isn't that special? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that great news? Because so is everyone else. And that is wonderful. That is the good news. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So what I've learned since encountering Jesus, I am a perfectly imperfect miracle child of God who is loved unconditionally. I don't deserve it. I can't deserve it. I get it anyway. And it's amazing. And so is everybody else. Nobody else deserves it more. Nobody else deserves it less. Everybody else gets it. The third thing I've learned which is where things get complicated, is that I am not the intended audience of most of Scripture. In fact, I'm the villain in most of Scripture. We'll focus on a little piece of it for right now. If we talk about first, the first century, the New Testament, the part of the Bible about Jesus and about the things that happened after Jesus came. The dominant force in the world at that time was Rome. In the first century, Romans had more rights than everybody else. If you were Roman, you were more important. They had more safety, more security. They had the police behind them. If you were Roman, you were automatically part of a higher socioeconomic standing than, than others. You weren't necessarily more wealthy, right? There were non-Romans who were quite wealthy. 
but you had a better chance at it if you were a Roman, if you were a citizen. Basically, they had more opportunities. A lot of times, they were the oppressors. And even when they weren't being oppressive, they were seen as being oppressive. And all that is by virtue of their birth. So the Romans, Roman citizens didn't earn more rights, more access to safety and security, higher economic standing, all that stuff. It's also not their fault. They were just born with it. They didn't earn or choose their privilege. They were just born with it. And they probably didn't even recognize it, didn't know it was there. You can't be mad at someone for doing something they don't know is wrong. So let's talk about me. This is supposed to be me telling my story about ways I've screwed up. I'm able-bodied, which means that when I go out into the world, I can expect that I can get into every store. If there's a step there, it's not a barrier to me. I can use traffic lights without worrying. I can drive. All those things. I'm heterosexual. I can walk downtown holding my wife's hand and no one will even notice, let alone be offended by it. That's a safety thing. I'm educated. I worked hard to get my education. Not as hard as others. And my marks will show you that. But yeah, I'm educated. That allows certain things that um, others don't have. I also came from a family of people who were educated, which made me far more likely to go get educated. English is my first language. I don't have to translate anything in our world. When I go out there, I can expect to understand what people are saying to me. I haven't had to learn how to keep up. I'm a Christian. There's a typo. I should have had a big C there. Sorry. And a hyphen. Oh, my goodness. Right? Being a Christian means that I can expect to have the important days in my religious uh, calendar off. I'm born into a middle-class Canadian family. That means that growing up, or even now, if I get hit by a car, the Canadian part means if I get hit by a car, an ambulance is going to come pick me up, take me to a hospital where well-educated, very capable nurses and doctors are going to put me back together, and I'm going to go home and not get a bill. Not everybody has that. The fact that I'm from a middle-class family means that, like, my parents didn't have to sacrifice anything for me to be able to play sports growing up, etc. I'm male. When my wife goes and takes the dog for a walk around the block at night, I'm super nervous until she gets home. I'm worried. Nobody worries if I do that because there's a lot less chance of anything happening to me. I'm of European descent. Descent. Oh my gosh. Descent. I'm white. I'm part of the majority. 
Nobody has ever asked me, oh, how long have you been here? Are you Canadian? No one's ever asked me that. Purely by virtue of my birth. None of those are things that I chose. None of those are things that I earned. With this, I mean, the, this one here, yeah, I earned my education. It was also kind of a foregone conclusion growing up in a house with two educated parents. I was born with those things. I didn't earn them. So why do I deserve them? The Romans didn't earn or even choose their privilege. They were just born with it. I didn't earn or even choose my privilege. I was just born with it, which is a lot like grace. We are, I am, able to access the grace of Jesus Christ because I was born. Period. So now the part where I tell you about this, my mistakes. This is one of, another one of the most famous verses. We all know it as the wedding verse. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That's from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And I always thought this was a romantic thing. Until again, at church, somebody, the pastor, described it as a description of Jesus. God is love. Jesus is God. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy doesn't boast, is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered, and he keeps no record of wrongs. Thank goodness. Jesus does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. So fast forward a bunch of years from when I was trying to impress Brenda by going to church with her to the last couple of years where... I've started really thinking about this idea of undeserved and unearned grace that I have and putting it together with some of that unearned privilege that I also have by virtue of my birth. And I've started to notice that I've been making or had been making a lot of assumptions over the years. For instance, I grew up in a high school of people who looked just like me I mean, not identical, but a lot of white middle-class families in my high school. And so I figured that we all pretty much had the same opportunities. Everyone's equal. And I used to get really annoyed with my best friend, who was on, he, we played sports, we played rugby, and he was on our team, and he missed a lot of practices. He missed, most of the practices he missed because he was, had to go work at Blockbuster Video. Remember that? And when he went to work at Blockbuster, he, uh, he, a lot of times he started at 5, so he had to be there early, couldn't, and so couldn't come to rugby practice. And we were pretty good. Our team was quite good. We were, like, had the potent, we were in the toughest division in the province, and, if we, and we were near the top of it. Like, we had the potential to kind of go to provincial championships. Like, that, was, that was kind of a neat opportunity. And I kept getting so mad at him for his lack of commitment. Why aren't you coming to practice? It's just a part-time job. 
I worked there too, and I changed my schedule so that I can go to practice. Until the day he said, um, mom's disability insurance just got cut off. Some clerical error happened, and he had to go from working 30 hours a week to trying to get overtime because they had zero income. Boy, I ate some crow that day. I knew that they didn't have lots of money, but I assumed that because he looks like me and he's in the same place as me, they had security. Turns out they were living right on the edge. The other, the other thing that happened with me, this is about the uh, good example of me being self-seeking, not following Jesus in, in this, was I was so annoyed with my friend's mom that she, she kept buying small bits of food and then, and then running out. I was like, just buy a big lasagna. It'll feed the two of you for a week. You'll be fine. I was so annoyed that she wouldn't take this brilliant advice from 17-year-old me. Finally, she's like, you know, I just don't have enough money to buy it. It's not because I don't think it makes sense. Right. Other assumptions I've made. This is my country. I'm a seventh-generation Canadian. So as far as, like, Canadians go, we've been here for quite a while. I've always felt pride and a bit of ownership over this place. You know, and I definitely saw the them and us. Why should, we, why should we be open to people coming in and taking our jobs, all those things? And somebody one day said, what if you were born somewhere else? It's true. If I had been born on the same day with the same brain and the same level of love for my parents in, say, Syria, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's not because I did anything smarter. I just happened to be born in a different place. My brother is a wonderful human being. He's one of the kindest, most generous people um, anywhere. He doesn't sleep for two reasons. One is that he has a condition where he's not able to sleep a lot. There's, he's missing some enzyme that help, doesn't let him go into deep sleep. The other reason he doesn't sleep a lot is that he um, is always doing stuff for others. He um, at least weekly is making food at the shelter in the town where they live, and he's you know, showing up at people's houses to do their yard work when they can't and all this stuff. He's a really neat guy. Um, But I remember having a conversation with him where I didn't know what to say because he was he was so frustrated with um, the boil water observe, uh, advisories on all the on northern reserves, and he kept saying, uh, "It's no good. It's bad news." And I didn't know how to react. I didn't know how to like. I didn't know what to say because I didn't know much about 
the situation at all. And I hate to admit, but I was a little envious, not of the boil water advisories, but of the what I now know are myths about not paying taxes, free education, all that kind of stuff. Because as far as I knew, indigenous people made bad choices. And then I learned a little bit more about the history, the parts, the parts of the history we didn't learn in, in school and, and discovered that six generations of indigenous children were taken from their homes and not allowed to be themselves, not allowed to be, to follow their um, cultures that they'd grown up in. And suddenly I asked myself, would I be ready to be a good parent if that had been me, if I hadn't seen parenting? Probably not. That envy went away pretty fast. Another really good friend of mine, when we were much younger, told me she had depression, and she was really down and having a really hard time. And me, being the positive, intelligent, encouraging person that I am, said, why don't you, you know, just look on the bright side. Things aren't so bad. Let's be positive. We can do this. I had never suffered from depression. I didn't realize that that was not an option. I was being pretty proud of how encouraging I could be. I was really good about that. I was so excited to help her. And then a few years later, I started suffering from depression. And I realized that it was not helpful. And I wish that I could have taken that back. Love does not dishonor others. Remember a couple of years ago when the uh, hashtag MeToo movement started up? I was at a family party and my uncle was talking about that. He's like, man, we can't say anything anymore. It's just a joke. Why are people so sensitive? And I didn't say anything, about which I'm quite embarrassed now. I didn't say anything probably because I kind of felt the same way in little bits. But it turns out the fact that I had never been on the receiving end of an off-color joke about me meant that I didn't understand. And why have I never been on the receiving end of one of those jokes? Just because the way I was born. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Same story. Yeah, but women abuse men too sometimes. It's true. Most of the time it's not the case though. And that happening doesn't justify the other way around. What if, and I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm sorry. I'll stop with the sad stuff now. What I'm here to tell you today is that these are all things that I've done. These are all terrible thoughts that I've had. These are all things of which I am ashamed. And these are all ways that I have let what I didn't earn, the fact that I have the cho a lot of choices 
that others don't have get in the way of me following this pretty fantastic blueprint for what it means to follow Jesus. My last story that I want to tell you is much more recent, and it was last summer I was at the grocery store, and I came out, and there was a guy out there who was, had a sign of, like, you know, if you can help me out, I need these items. So I gave him some food, and as I was giving him some food, feeling really good about myself, because I love doing that, it's one of my favorite things to do, and I'm one of my proudest things, and I don't mean that kind of pride, I mean things that make me so... Um, feel so good and, and have hope is that every time we go to the grocery store and there's somebody outside asking for help, my children run over and say, what do you need? What, what can we get for you? And I, that makes me so proud. Anyway, I'm doing that. I love, I love helping people. Food is, is important to me and, and something I love to share. So I was talking to the guy saying, oh, here's, here's what I got in my cart. This, this help, this help. And it starts pouring rain. Like, can't see across the parking lot rain. I was like, oh, how are you getting home? Harry, I'm feeling good. I'm going to help him out again. Awesome. I feel good about it. And he goes, oh, i got a bike. I was like, there's no way you're going to carry all this stuff on your bike. Plus, it's pouring rain. How far do you live? He goes, oh, just not, not far, just down Main Street. So I was like, all right, well, I've got my van here. The seats are out. Let's put your bike in the van. We'll take you there. I'll drop you off. And the whole way there, we're chatting. And he's a really nice guy. His name is Mike. And we're talking about stuff. Turns out we've both lived in some of the same places and know some of the same people. It's kind of bizarre. Anyway, as we're chatting, all this is going on. We get there. He's like, thanks so much. Let him out of the, let him out of the van. Help him unload his bike. He takes his food in. And, then, and after he was gone, I couldn't feel as good about it as I wanted to feel because... my pride and my self-seeking nature had me worried so much about the fact that he was really dirty and what was the upholstery of my 20-year-old van going to look like after he got out. And I was so ashamed of that because it's not about the van. So what I've learned since encountering Jesus, I am a perfectly imperfect miracle child of God who is loved unconditionally and so is everybody else. And that's incredible. Hallelujah. I'm not the intended audience. And when someone points that out, they're not oppressing me. They're not attacking me. When someone points out that I'm not the intended audience, that's an opportunity for me to follow the blueprint of what love is. Patient and kind and not self-seeking. I have privilege that I didn't earn. I didn't choose and I don't deserve. I'm simply living the life I was given. And so whatever is everyone else. And I need to remember to show grace. Like I said at the start, I'm not a pastor. And I'm not the pastor. If you have thoughts, questions, advice... I will be here for a while after to hear what you have to say. I would love to discuss it because I've got a lot to learn. I'll leave it at that. The night before Jesus died, 
he gathered his disciples together for one last meal. Excuse me. And they, uh, they sat in a room around a table, and he took some bread, and he broke it, and he said, do this in remembrance of me when you're together. Remember me, rem- and remember what I did for you. Remember that I died willingly on the cross so that you would have the opportunity not to have to. And he said, take this wine and remember the blood that I've spilled for you. And so every week here at Grassroots Church after the service, we take communion. And everybody is welcome at the table. Um, So you're welcome.